belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for November 7th, 2021 is called Christian-ish. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Miller Lodge in Mount Sequoia, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Again, my name is John Ray. This is Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. We're really glad that you are here this morning. You know, I don't remember the first time I went to church since I was an infant when it happened. I don't remember the first time I heard about Jesus since I'm sure it was before I could understand words. I don't remember when I was baptized as I was still very young when it happened. I don't remember the first time I read from the Bible myself, since it must have been the same time I was learning to read. I don't remember the first time I took communion or prayed. All these things were offered to me before I even really understood what they were. And as I grew up, I had many choices of ways to engage with understand, and practice my faith. It was always available to me. There was just never a time I didn't know. There was never a time I wasn't familiar with the Bible or with Jesus or with the church or baptism or communion or worship. All of these things, they just just were. I didn't have to think about them. Surely, I was blessed in the truest sense of the word. There's just never been a time when I didn't know about Jesus. There's never been a time when I didn't have access to however much more I wanted to know. This means so much to me. It is also of absolutely no value at all. In fact, it can even be a major obstacle. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You see, growing up in a Christian culture, growing up where all of this information is available, has huge advantages. Huge advantages. It also has nothing to do with ultimately where we need to go. Having access to the good news, hearing the gospel, growing up in a culture where there are all kinds of churches and Young Life and K-Life and YWAM and Crew and Canacuck is a tremendous gift. It is also worthless, even damning, if we think it is those things that save us. In many ways, it can unintentionally produce a way of being Christian-ish. Having the veneer, the patina, knowing the slang, the lingo, but not really infiltrated deep into our hearts, into our lives. And we end up missing the point entirely. What's even worse 
is that mistakenly believing it's these things, our participation in these rituals, these cultures, these groups, we begin to think that that's what saves us, that that's ultimately what's most important, inevitably leads to arrogance, boasting, pride, judgment of others, often in a way that distorts and toxifies the very message of the gospel itself. This is a situation very similar to what Paul is dealing with when he writes to the church in Rome. Now, if you remember, we're studying Romans, but we've been studying it backwards, and we're coming to the end, y'all. We only have two weeks left in Romans after this. We're coming, actually, we're coming to the end of the middle. So just to confuse you further, because we started at the end and then we jumped up ahead to the, front, the first, we're going to end in the middle with this, um, with that. Uh, and in these couple of chapters, we're looking at chapters three and four this week, Paul and Phoebe, who's delivering and teaching this letter, they're addressing the believers of Jewish background. Those are the ones who had grown up, just kind of like I said, with all the advantages, all the information, all the formation, similar to what many of us have grown up with in the church. They always knew about Yahweh. They knew about the Torah. They were exposed to it. They had access to it. They, they participated in the cultural rituals, the religious rituals with that. But Paul says that this is both an advantage and of no advantage at all to them. Well, let's, let's read. Um, <clears throat> Tim last week did a, just a fantastic job with talking about the plot twist in, in what comes. Um, so chapter 3, we're starting with Romans chapter 3, if you want to read along, starts with a therefore. And what is that What is that your dad used to say all the time, Tim, with therefore? Yeah. So if it says therefore, go back and see what that is there for. Um, so, so go back and listen to Tim's message if you weren't here. It's, it's really incredible. But what Paul does is he lays out this idea that Hey, you know what? You stop looking around, stop judging others. Everybody's guilty here. Therefore, now he's talking directly to the Jewish believers. He says this. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read the scripture, and we're going to stop and make some observations as we go along. He says, it starts with, therefore, what advantage does the Jew have, or of what value is circumcision? And again, it's important to remember that this letter, when it was read, Phoebe would be reading this, she would ask the question, and then she would just stop. And there would be dialogue. She would entertain questions. There would be back and forth with what was going on with that. And again, um, we need to ask ourselves, maybe in this case, as we're drawing the parallels, what advantage is there in being raised a Christian? What advantage do we have, y'all? And I'm not asking that rhetorically. <laughs> okay, well, growing up, definitely in Texas, we were part of the majority growing up. Like, hey, it was like, had a lot of people around there that looked like us, smelled like us, didn't dance like us, the whole thing, right? Yeah, right? You're, you're, you're given this framework of looking at the world that, that is really good in some ways. It's really beautiful. It gives you a way to live and understand and navigate the world. In a world of confusion, hey, you know, 
This is a way to live, and it's a good way to live. What else? Yeah, you have a community. You're born into this community, and you, and you know that you're there, right? You walked into a church, at least I did. You know, I'd walk into a church when I was younger, and I would know, I, this, I belong here. I didn't have to earn anything. I didn't have to do anything. It's like, I, I understand the ritual. I understand how we do things here with that. And that's, and it, listen, having community is essential to a human being. We cannot live without community. And so, for the most part, um, that was a safe community for me, at least, growing up. Yeah, there's exceptions, we, we, for sure. So anyway, so there's all these advantages. And Paul, and Paul, and again, Phoebe, they go on, verse 2, it says, actually, there are many advantages. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, right? We, we had the Bible. I can remember at a critical time in my life when I was searching out the faith, like I, had, I was so steeped in the Bible from Sunday school and everything else, I knew where to look. I knew where to look. I knew where to go. What then, he says, if some were unfaithful, their unfaithfulness will not nullify God's faithfulness, will it? Absolutely not. Let God be true, proven true and every human being shown up as a liar, just as it is written, so that you will be justified in your words and will prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, remember the, the therefore is he's talking about, hey, church, you are unrighteous. You've messed up. You've met, missed it. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say then? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking human terms. Absolutely not. For otherwise, how would God judge the world? For if by my lie the truth of God enhances his glory, why am I still actually being judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come of it, as some who slander us allege that we have saved? Their condemnation is deserved. What then? Are we better off? Now, listen. What then? Are we better off? Remember, he's just said, hey, being a Jew has great advantages. Are we better off? Certainly not. For we have already charged that the Jews and Greeks alike are all under sin, just as is written. So I loved how Tim said plot twist. Plot twist here. They keep throwing them in. Like, listen, if you expect Roman to be one, Romans to be one linear idea progressing from thought to thought to thought, think again. Does not do that. They set you up and then they twist. They get you going one way and then they jerk you around the other way. This is happening time and time again as we read the text. And here is, here is a classic example of that. What is the advantage of it, being a Jew? Absolutely, we have tremendous advantage. So, and then it gets down here. So, are we better off? The anticipated answer would be, yeah. And he goes, no, you're not. So he turns you around back here. And then, again, they, they quote Scripture. They go back to the Old Testament. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Now, think about the implication of this. This is to people who have dedicated their life, going on pilgrimage to the temple, memorizing the Torah, eating kosher, keeping within the boundaries. He says there's no one righteous. No one seeks after God. This is a devastating indictment. And I can't imagine that there were not more than a few offended people listening to this. 
All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. Their throats an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Poison asp is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then he goes on to demonstrate this by saying, you claim to know the law, but this is what you practice. Plot twist number two. Just knowing what to do isn't good enough. Knowing the words, knowing the doctrine, knowing the theology, knowing the mores, rituals, practices, just not, it's not enough. And here's the plot twist. Even if you did it perfectly. Because our temptation here is to think, oh, right? Check me if I'm wrong. Every one of us in here, when we, re when we hear that, almost every one of us thinks, glad that's not me. Right? I mean, but we do, right? We think, we think, whoa, Paul is being tough. Glad I'm not. Glad, <laughs> glad he's not talking to me. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I practice and I've got my foibles and everything, but I'm, I'm a good person. I mean, I'm, I'm better than most. Look, I showed up here on Sunday. Come on. I did these things. Here's the plot twist. Even if you did it all right. Even if you did it correctly, it's not enough. This is the crazy thing about this, y'all. It's not just, oh, you knew what was right and you didn't do it. No, it's, hey, you knew what was right and you did it. And it's not enough. That's not what saves us. He's saying that's not what saved them as Jews. You see, what the Jews were doing is in, is in this conflict with the Gentile believers is they were saying, you have to be Jewish first to follow Jesus. Like, like yes, Jesus is the Messiah. We're getting that. We're, we're having our minds expand, our imagination change, but Jesus was Jewish. So, so you have to be a Jew first. Then you can become a Christian in a way. You have to follow our rituals, our morals, our mores, our way of eating, reading, singing, worshiping. Then, and Paul was saying, that is your biggest downfall. As you were thinking that that's what saves you. That your adherence to those things is the thing that saves you. So he goes on, starting in verse 27, he says, Where then is the boasting? It is excluded by what principle of works? No, but by the principle of faith. For we consider that the person is declared righteous by faith apart from the works. Now, here we get hung up a lot as Christians when we hear works of the law. We think about good deeds. We think about doing charity or being nice or welcoming refugees or you know, giving our money or doing those things. That's not the works that Paul is talking about. Paul, the works of the law here that Paul is talking about is keeping kosher. Is adhering to Jewish ritual practices. That is the works of the law that is here. In the same way that we might say our works of the law 
show up at church, do these things, our definitions of marriage, our definition of righteousness, our definition of giving, our definition of these things that are Christian or Christian-ish, those are the things that save us. Now, are those things bad? Absolutely not. We've already established that, right? Paul starts with that. He says, they are of great advantage. They're just not the things that save us. And when we think they are the things that save us, they become actually disadvantage to that. They lead to boasting. They lead to pride. They lead to arrogance. They lead to exclusion. They lead to, they lead to what was leading to the Jewish people to think, we are inherently better than those people. That inherently we are better than those people. Paul then goes on. He gives this long description in, in chapter 4 about Abraham's faith and how that demonstrates the faithfulness of God. And then you go down to verse 23 in chapter 4. Says, but the statement it was credited to him was not only for Abraham's sake, but also for our sake, to whom it will be credited. Those who believe in the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was given over for the sake of our transgressions and was raised for the sake of our justification. Y'all, let me tell you something. I have a newfound appreciation for Paul and Phoebe reading through this whole thing because Paul is fearless. He, he is relentless. He will not stop exposing every potential alternative to the gospel. Romans, if nothing else, is this ruthless in a way, relentless but I believe grace-filled, cutting off of every imagination that thinks that I got something to boast in apart from Jesus. That somehow there is something in me, my gender, my race, my wealth, my theology, my political view, my ability, my education, something, that there is something in me that inherently enables me to boast. That allows me to pass judgment on someone else because they ain't like me. Paul will have none of it. Phoebe will have none of it. They have come into this divided community who are casting aspirations against each other. The one group saying, we've got the moral high ground. The other group saying, you are a bunch of old fuddy-duddies. You're done. No, we got a new way of living here. There is a new sheriff in town. We got a new way of doing things. We're free. We don't need any of your rules. We don't need any of your old stuff. And Phoebe comes in. Paul, is, Paul sends Phoebe in there to say, you're both wrong. Stop it. Turns to one group and says, oh, you think you're hot stuff? Let me just tell you about your hot stuff. It ain't. The other group, oh, you think you got it figured out? You think just because you got the tradition, you got everything on, this, on your side? Guess what? No. Does not work that way. Absolutely levels the playing field. 
takes it all the way down, but doesn't leave it there. Right? It's not just about tearing down. Listen, the deconstruction, the tearing down is actually the easy part. It's way easier to burn down a building than it is to build one. We see that in our society right now, right? We've actually, we've actually magnified this idea of deconstruction, which I believe we all need. We're all, listen, a healthy faith is always in the process of deconstructing, but at the same time reconstructing. And that's where the real work is. The real work is in the reconstruction, is in the building up, the doing something new. And that's what Paul and Phoebe are doing, is they're, they're always bringing it back to Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus. They're always showing how what you thought you were doing is actually God doing it in you, through you, for you. They're always pointing back to Jesus. That is what we rebuild with on. And in that, in our faith in Jesus, there is no room for boasting. There is no room for pride. There is no room for judgment, judging others. There is no room for those aspirations cast on other people. It's just, it's, it's all been taken down with that. And uh, well, we were introduced to, or at least I was introduced to a new word this, this week, um, simplexity. Has anybody heard that word, that term? Simplexity. Yes, Laura, Laura introduced it, so she's heard it. And I've been mulling it over. It's this idea that, that in one sense it's incredibly simple, right? Like when we talk about Jesus, we say Jesus is a way, the truth, the life. No person comes to the Father except to Jesus. It's simple. It's a simple concept, right? Jesus is the Savior of the world. Put your faith in Jesus and you'll be saved. In an idea that's simple, but the complexity of it, of what that means, how that plays out, the layers of meaning to it, it's incredibly complex. It will, none of us will ever fathom it. None of us will ever get to the bottom of it. None of us will ever truly understand it. It's simple and complex at the same time. It's a simplexity with that. So I have to ask, like, what is the question for us? What is the question that Romans is asking us, our church? You know, sometimes I think at Grace, we may have more grace for those outside the church than we do within the church. Hey, let's just face it, y'all. We've been through a lot as a church the past two years, three years. We've been through a lot with COVID, with the, the way that we become this group, the the, the moving around and stuff. And sometimes it's easy to just say, hey, we got this, we got this figured out. Like we're more holy. Like we our our positions and our way of practicing is is actually the way to do it. We start casting aspiration, not necessarily against people outside the church. I think we have a lot of compassion for that. But other Christians. It's been convicting this week to think about that. But I think the elephant in the room of Scripture. The real thing that Paul and Phoebe are trying to get at. Not allowing for all the rabbit trails, all the asides, all the what ifs, or what aboutism, all the gaslighting, all the other stuff that takes place around it. The real elephant in the room with this. is the church looking and going, well, those people can't be included. Can they? Like, 
Like, sure, we have mercy and grace, but but it's got a limit, right? I mean, we gotta put up the we gotta put up the fence somewhere. Like God's grace couldn't be for them like it is for me. Because I have judged them as to be beyond grace. I have judged them as to be beyond the mercy of God. I have judged them to be beyond the love of God. Now, not to say that they couldn't experience it if they just cleaned up their lives a little bit. If they just changed their political view over here. If maybe they stopped listening to that kind of music or conducting their behavior in such a way. Sure, God would love them then. Not, not now. Because if God's grace is for them now, that says something about me. That means that this thing, whatever that thing is that you think makes you worthy of God's love, whatever that thing is that you think makes you righteous, deserving, something that you can boast in, something you can take pride in, something you can show off at the party. Hey guys, look at this. Isn't that cool? It means that's worth it. In that context, again, in that context, it's worthless. Because the only thing that saves us is Jesus. The only thing that saves us, y'all, is Jesus. It's the faithfulness of God. It is the faithfulness of God shown towards every single human being that saves us. That's what we put our faith in. Not that and. Not that plus. Not that but. It is in the faithfulness of God that we put it. And that's the argument, I believe that's being given here. Alex brought up a scripture. In another place, when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, a church that he has much more familiarity with than the church in Romans, he wrote, the, he wrote this to that church. He said, so then, this is 2 Corinthians 5.16, so then, from now on, we acknowledge no one from an outward human point of view. That alone right there is mind-blowing. Even though we have known Christ from such a human point of view, we do not know him in that way any longer. So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. And all these things are from God, who reconciled himself to us through Christ, and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them, and given, has given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we would become the righteousness of God. Y'all, there is zero to boast in in that. And Everything to glory in. Nothing to boast in. Everything to glory in. 
Nothing to cast dispersions on other people. Everything to love other people. Nothing to put up a fence. Everything to invite people. This ministry of reconciliation is first and foremost the hallmark of Paul's theology. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, wherever you find it. That is what Paul is about. Breaking down these barriers, calling people to repent from their arrogance and pride, calling people to glory in what is truly glorious, the faithfulness of God towards us. And that's why at Grace Church, like we start with belonging as recognition that, that it is for all people. We also do this saying that faith necessarily involves changing, and change can be difficult. And we only change when we feel safe. So that's why like, we start with belonging here. Belonging in a faith community, really being rooted in one, provides space to ask the necessary questions, take the necessary risk, wrestle with the necessary mystery that facilitate growth. And as we do this, we start to become more and more accurate reflections of Jesus. Image bearers of God. These practices are reflected in and help us form, help form and validate our statements and belief. I started this today with this illustration of the paintbrush. And Alex, if you want to come up, we're going to transition to communion here real quick. Jane's not here, so I'm going to tell a story about her. Yeah, this will come back, but it's okay. So if you ever come to our house and you go to the refrigerator and don't open it up because you want to get a Coke or something out of there, oftentimes you will find paintbrushes in baggies in the refrigerator. You all know that trick? So the trick is if you don't want to clean your paintbrush when you're done with it right away, you put it in a baggie and put it in the refrigerator and the paint won't dry. And then you can just take it out and keep using it. So we have paintbrushes. If you go to our silverware drawer, guess what you will find? Paintbrushes. Fortunately, those have been cleaned, usually, with that. They don't go wet in the paintbrush drawer. I don't know why she likes to put her paintbrushes in the silverware drawer, but there are paintbrushes in her silverware drawer. Joe, you probably have experienced a little bit of this in your house. As well. um, but... But for the metaphor is like we can get so caught up with this one utensil, this one idea, right? Like this is the way to do it. Always need a paintbrush. There's always something to paint, right? You got a paintbrush, there is always something to paint with that. We can lose sight that the paintbrush is not the deal. That's not the deal, right? It's getting accomplished what needs to be accomplished. And we can... Yeah, we need a paintbrush sometimes, and other times we need a hammer. Other times we need a saw. Other times we need these things, right? Like, don't get so caught up in this one experience that we think that's what everybody has to experience with that. The faithfulness of Jesus extends beyond all that. That's what we glory in, not our single experience of that. We're going to share in communion here with that which is our practice here at Grace, one of those ways of saying, you know what, no matter what we've said, no matter what we've sung, ultimately it's this table and what it represents that we're drawn to. Ultimately it is the sacrifice of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, 
who both is serving us and being served at this time. We take these things as sign of Jesus' death and sacrifice, but also of the banquet that is to come when all things are reconciled and we all sit with Jesus at that table. All of us. All of us. No head, no tail at the table. All of us together, equal with that. This table represents that. So take it in that spirit today. And thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.